What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Main Event Heat Podcast. I am your host, Rob Weathers. It is time to talk about this month in professional wrestling, January 2023. We had a lot of big news coming from all of the major promotions. We had some good shit happen so far in the month of January. Had some very unfortunate stuff happen in the month of January. And we are going to cover all of that in just a moment. Real quick, just want to talk about my own professional wrestling schedule and, and, and things of that nature real quick. I know the last time that... I recorded an episode. I was on my way to my first show of the year at CWFG down in Swainsboro, and it was a good time. I had a a fun time debuting with them. Uh, Something that kind of sucked, though, the production crew never showed up, so I didn't get to do commentary, which is what I was, you know, obviously booked to do. I did, thankfully, get an opportunity to split ring announcing. You know, I'm very thankful that that's something that was even on the table. But I haven't called a wrestling match since the middle of November. Because the other two shows that I had booked this month, I had MEW and XP booked uh, this month. I would have done both of those shows by now. But both of those shows got postponed due to venue issues. Completely different issues with each venue, but... Both of them had venue issues nonetheless, so I, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be pretty rusty going into next month, you know, just like how wrestlers have ring rust if they, you know, have a, a long layoff in between matches, I will definitely get mic rust if, uh, if I don't do commentary within a couple of months, so I'm a little bit worried about that, especially considering what my, my next show on the books is, which is something fun, I wanted to go ahead and make this announcement, it hasn't been officially made on this promotion social media yet but I mean I'm sure they're not going to make an announcement about it but um there is a promotion here in Georgia called Southern States Pro Wrestling and they're doing this really cool thing they're having a combine just like how the NFL has a combine every year where they're inviting all of these wrestlers and managers and and referees and different just personalities of Georgia wrestling to come in and work this show and basically compete for an opportunity to be on the Southern States pro roster for 2023. I was recently invited to come and do some commentary. Uh, I don't have a hell of a lot of detail about it. I was told I will be calling at least one match and there's going to be judges on looking and, and, you know, checking everything out. And if you impress the judges, then I guess you you get a deal to work with Southern States Pro. So I'm looking forward to that. I've, I've got that coming up uh, next weekend. I believe that's February 5th here in Austell, Georgia, which that's another thing I'm really looking forward to. Austell is not very fucking far from where I live, which is not something I'm used to. I'm used to having to drive at least a couple hours to get to shows. That's going to be a nice change of pace. But outside of that, month of February, uh, the week after that, I should be back with CWFG, hopefully actually doing commentary this time. And main event is now running a double shot later this month to make up for the January show. So February 25th, I'll be in Griffin, Georgia with MEW. And the February, or how did did I get that wrong? February 24th, (laughs) February 24th, I'll be in Griffin for MEW. And then February 25th, I'll be in Dothan, Alabama with MEW. It has been a, it it has already been a a long morning, even though I haven't been awake for very long. I got a very late start this morning. Last night was the Royal Rumble. I had, uh, I had some party favors in my system from last night. Helps me 
I guess I guess I, I took it instinctively because I was like, ah, I'm going to need something to help me enjoy this WWE pay-per-view because I don't really like a whole hell of a lot of these these right now. I mean, whenever Triple H originally took over, I was starting to kind of fuck with WWE, but recently it's it hasn't been that great. We'll talk about the Rumble at the end of this episode because I kind of want to save it to last because it actually was, for the most part, pretty damn good. But uh, But anyway... Completely got off on a tangent there. Holy fuck, am I tired and holy fuck, am I hungover? Okay, but anyway, that's my career out of the way. That's what I've got going on. That's what I'm going to be doing. Let's go ahead and get into it this month in pro wrestling. Let's start with New Japan. New Japan has the yearly tradition of Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th every single year. This year's Wrestle Kingdom was pretty exciting for the most part. They finally went back to one night. They did the two-night thing for a few years. And, you know, maybe the first time that they did it, there might have been cause for it. They might have had a lot of shit going on that they kind of needed the extra night for. But these last couple, it's just been so much filler bullshit on each show. I was so glad that they finally went back to just one night this year. And it was a pretty fun card. I'm not going to do a full-on review for this because I've, I've got a full-on review coming for the Rumble later in this episode. But we're going to run through this real quick, skipping the pre-show, starting with the actual show. The show opened up with TJP and Francesco Akira from the United Empire defeating Lee Yo, which is Leo Rush and Yo. I fucking hate that team name, and I'm glad they lost just because of that. Uh, it was a pretty fun match. A lot of these matches were relatively short. Like, this match was ten and a half minutes, and that's actually one of the longer preliminary matches on this show. Right after that, you had Kyrie defeating Tam Nakano to hold on to her IWGP Women's Championship, that match only got five minutes, which was, I think, pretty fucked up because that was a pretty damn solid match for the five minutes that we got. Afterwards, the worst kept secret in wrestling came out, Mercedes Money, which, uh, you know, the formerly known as Sasha Banks, came out to the ring and hit a very awkward finisher on Kyrie and said, I'll wrestle you in a couple of months. So here we are. I know it's a big deal. Look, it's super cool seeing Mercedes somewhere that isn't the WWE because that's really where she spent basically her entire fucking career. This this is going to be neat. And I'm sure the match against Kyrie is going to be good if they give it more than five minutes. But the whole, her promo wasn't very good. The finisher did not look very good. The whole segment felt kind of botched. I'm being completely honest with you. But it it is still interesting. It's just we're not off to a great start, if you ask me. After that, FTR lost their IWGP Tag Team Championships to Bishimon, which is, of course, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. This match was all right. I think I think that, uh, you know, decent chemistry between these two teams. I obviously love FTR. I'm not a big Bishamon fan, but I understood. I was like, yeah, I mean, everybody knows all these belts that FTR has been carrying around. They're about to lose all of them. And then right after this match, announced that they were going to be taking a few months off. So, yeah, makes sense. After that, Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Ren Narita to become the first ever NJPW World Television Champion. They had a big tournament to decide the finals for this match. Once again, a new New Japan belt they don't really need anymore. I think they need to start eliminating some of them, if I'm being honest with you. But we've got a new belt, and just like the other new New Japan belts, it's not very attractive. Uh, it, it looks kind of goofy, but, you know, in other news, after the match, TMDK come out and they recruit Zack Sabre Jr. to 
not only be the in the group, but to be their leader, it looks like. So Zach Sabre Jr. is now with Shane Haste and Mikey Nichols in TMDK. They also picked up a young boy at New Year's Dash the day after. So that's cool. I can't wait to see what's going on there. I like TMDK, and I think that having Zach Sabre with them is going to be a pretty good fit. After that, never open weight championship. Carl Anderson loses to Tama Tonga. Tama regains the never open weight championship. I feel like we could have gotten a good feud out of this. We should have gotten a good feud out of this because it had been brewing for years. Carl Anderson and Tama Tonga have been talking shit to each other throughout the entire pandemic on Twitter. And there, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing Tama was doing with Enzo. Like there was money to be made there and it just didn't happen. And I think that we finally could have gotten a good feud for Tama here. I think him and Chad, knowing that they are as close as they are, would have really had some more great matches together. But I think that the whole Good Brothers signing with WWE again thing kind of threw a wrench in all of this. Uh, everybody saw this coming. It was an all right match. I think the first match that they had where Chad actually picked up the belt was better than this one. But, you know, for nine minutes, it is what it is. The finish looked a little off. It looked like Chad kind of, uh, I don't know, like he moved to the side a little bit too much whenever he was taking the, the cutter. It was weird. But anyway... Don't have to worry about it anymore. He no longer has a never open weight championship. Probably not going to be seeing the Good Brothers in New Japan ever again, which eh, kind of a sour note to go out on. But here we are. Right after that, we have got the Great Muda's last New Japan match. It is a six-man tag as Kijimuda, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Shota Umino defeated Los Ingobernables de Japón, Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, and Bushi. Kind of weird here that Shooter actually got the pin. I was expecting if, you know, this... This this great Muda team was going to win. It would be Muda getting the pin, but it was actually Shooter that got it, which was very very interesting. Kind of an odd match. Everything felt kind of weird. There was this awkward stare down with Muda and Naito at the end, but that at least wound up lending itself to the fact that it looks like now Tetsuya Naito is going to be wrestling Muda in his very last match ever next month. So I guess. Everything happened the way they intended. I don't know. It, it was really awkward. It is cool getting to see Great Mood on this retirement tour, though. Obviously, a a legend been doing this longer than I've been alive. It's It's been really cool to see these last few matches. And I'm glad that it looks like he's going out on a high note for the most part. Outside of this, like, this match was kind of weird. The other shit that he's been doing, WWE was able to send Nakamura over to know what to have a match with him. And the other shit that Muda's got going on is, is he's ending the rivalry with Sting. It's, there's a lot of really cool shit, and I'm glad that he's getting to end his career on his terms. After that, we have got Hiromu Takahashi defeating current champion Taiji Ishimori and El Desperado and Master Wado for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, I saw Takahashi getting the belt back from a mile away. I think everybody else did too. I was really looking forward to this because the last time there was a four-way match for the Junior Heavyweight belt at a Wrestle Kingdom, it was fucking amazing. It was Takahashi, Marty Skrull, Will Ospreay, and Kushida. That match was so fucking good this match i just i guess i just had super high expectations because i remember the last one i I don't know this one wasn't it wasn't all that great i think i feel like i feel like it left a lot to be desired if i'm being completely honest with you still was a decent match but it was not my favorite for sure after that, we do have my favorite match of the night as Kenny Omega defeated Will Ospreay 
to get the United States Heavyweight Championship. Kenny Omega, of course, the first ever IWGP US Champion. This match is already being called potential match of the year for 2023. It, it was a fucking banger, that is for sure. 35 minutes of these two beating the absolute dog shit out of each other. Will definitely look like he got the worst of the exchanges. There is a point where Kenny's fucking like driving his face through a table. Uh, it was it was brutal. It was fun to watch. But I've talked on here about how my favorite match was Kenny Omega versus Jericho in that street fight at Wrestle Kingdom. There were definitely shades of that here. Um, I did not expect Omega to leave with the belt. I completely expected, like, especially after they had that that press conference just a couple of days before this, and Osprey cut the best babyface promo of his fucking life. And after that, I was like, I don't know what the fucking what the plans are, who's gonna win, but the plans need to be Osprey wins because after that promo, he needed this win, and he didn't get it. Omega won. I'm interested to see what happens next because after New Year's Dash the next night. You know, this match, Osprey was totally the babyface in this match, which is weird because Omega's a, obviously a babyface in AEW. But then the very next night at, at, at New Year's Dash, it really looks like the United Empire are right back to being heels and Osprey's being a dick again. So it's really odd. I don't know what story they're trying to tell here. I thought I could tell what kind of story they were trying to try to tell. It looked like Osprey was going to potentially become the new Kenny Omega, the new top guy gene of the company. And uh, I don't know now. <laughs> I mean, it, it. I don't really. I don't really see what's going to happen next. Um, which is which is fun. You know, don't get me wrong. It's fun not being able to predict it, but. At the same time, it's like, I feel like there's a lot of room for error now. I feel like you guys could fuck this up. And I think Gato's booking isn't for everybody, and sometimes it's not for me. So, kind of worried about what happens next, but I'm also looking forward to it, because they still have the potential to tell a great story here. But this match was fucking fantastic. After that, Okada defeated Jay White to regain the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship in the main event. This was, of course, a good match. It always is a good match, but I... As much as I, I love Okada, and I do really like Jay White, not only am I kind of getting tired of seeing both of these guys rotating around this main event scene, I'm getting tired of watching them wrestle each other in general. Like, it's, you know, it, it, first of all, let's, let's spice up the Wrestle Kingdom main event a little bit. The main event for the last several years has always had one of these two fucking guys, for the most part. And like I said, I love both of them. I love both of them. There are a lot of other people in this fucking company that we could be giving this shot to, I feel like. Tired of watching them wrestle. It was a good match. There was nothing wrong with this match whatsoever. I'm just kind of over it. And I, you know, maybe, I don't know, fuck, with Okada being the champion again, he's a babyface, there's absolutely no way in hell they turn him heel. I don't know what the fuck is going to be next for Osprey. Maybe Osprey gets st stuck in this entanglement with Omega for a little while. There's a lot of question marks in New Japan coming out of this year's Wrestle Kingdom, which, like I said, is exciting. But if you're familiar with Gato's booking and you know that he, in my opinion, has had a, a tendency to drop the ball quite a lot in potential hot storylines, I'm not super looking forward to a lot of this. I'm not going to lie to you. 
still pretty interesting. It was a good show for the most part coming out of it. I believe it is the the better of the show since they were doing the two night thing. I feel like this was definitely better than the two night shows. I mean, the, the I think the first two night one was whenever we had Liger's retirement. So there was a whole hell of a lot of Liger on both shows, which like I said, the first one, I think there was reasons for it. But since then, I believe this is now the best one since then. It was like I said, solid wrestle kingdom. I had a good time watching it. But definitely a hell of a lot of question marks as far as New Japan's concerned. Hopefully, you know, by Dominion, maybe we've got some, we, we, maybe we're wrapping up some of these stories. Maybe we know what is next for Osprey and what's going on with Omega with New Japan. And is there going to be somebody to usurp Okada in that top babyface role? Who knows? Hopefully by Dominion, like I said, maybe we can have a conversation about that. Now let's move on over to Impact Wrestling and see what they've had going on this month. Unfortunately, we got to start on a very low note. This happened at the end of 2022, but obviously with how Impact tapes everything, they didn't really get the chance to address it until this month. Don West, longtime color commentator for Impact Wrestling, passed away at the end of the year after a long battle with cancer. And, uh, man, that was, that's a blow to the gut right there. I, I fucking loved Don West so much. I've been so open about how a lot of what I try to accomplish, especially with my color commentary at the booth is so much inspired by Don. I loved his enthusiasm. He came into this with with no background in wrestling, just like how I did. I was a wrestling fan, but I didn't have any kind of background whenever I got thrown in commentary. Typically, your color commentator is usually a former wrestler. And Don came into this, no background. To my knowledge, didn't even know that much about wrestling before he got started. He was just a really good pitch man. And he comes in, and he's got that that enthusiasm that... He just, it was so infectious and he, he made you care. He was so good at putting over every match as important. And I think him paired with Mike Tanay and Mike Tanay had that great know-how and he very much an encyclopedia of professional wrestling. When you had the two of them put together, especially whenever that, that infectiousness started rubbing off on, on Tanay and Tanay would start getting a little hype right along with Don West. That was one of my favorite broadcast teams ever. I fucking love those guys so much. And, you know, like I said, long, long fight with cancer that Don West had. He he is finally at peace, but a lot of great tributes have been going out to, to Don West since he passed. Rightfully deserved. I have said this on my social media and I'm, I'm going to say it now for all of you guys. I already, like I said, huge Don West fan. I already think about him every time I'm at the commentary booth because I, I want to accomplish something similar to what he accomplished. Every show that I call from here on out, it, it might as well be a dedication to Don West is the way that I see it. One of the, the absolute best to ever get behind a microphone, to ever sit at the broadcast booth, Don West, rest in peace. But getting into a little bit of the lighter side of, of Impact News, they had a big pay-per-view this month here in Atlanta at Center Stage. They had the Hard to Kill pay-per-view. I was, of course, out of town whenever they did this, so I wasn't able to watch it live. I actually haven't seen much from the show, but I'll go ahead and run down the card real quick, everything after the pre-show. The show opened up with Josh Alexander successfully defending his Impact World Championship against Bully Ray in a Full Metal Mayhem match. 
I imagine, like I said, didn't watch the show, but I imagine this had to go first because I believe in Full Metal Mayhem, they fuck with the ring a lot. I think they even take down some of the ropes and replace them with barbed wire or something. So I guess that's why it went first. I probably would have had it go on last for that reason, but eh, whatever it is, what it is. After that, you had the Motor City Machine Guns successfully defending their tag team championships against Heath and Rhino, the Bullet Clubs, Ace Austin and Chris Bay, and the major players, Brian Myers and Matt Cardona. After that, Joe Hendry also successfully defends his championship against Moose. That was, of course, for the Impact Digital Media Championship. I think Moose uh, is the last person that I would ever put for contention of the digital media belt. Just kind of just, I feel like that belt should be for people that are active in that digital media space. People that are active on social media or, or maybe streaming platforms, something like that. And, and Moose isn't that guy. So kind of weird to me. I feel like every other challenger and champion for this belt has made some kind of sense. Well, well, I guess Rich Swan didn't make any sense either because like that dude is literally not on social media at all. So hopefully Joe Hendry gets some feuds that make sense after this, but it looks like uh, he's, he's not done with Moose potentially because they're still kind of fucking with each other on TV. But he's also, at the same time, fucking with the major players. So who knows? I don't know what's going on with his Impact Digital Media Championship. I hope Impact does, because it doesn't look like they do. After that, Masha Slamovich defeated Deanna Parazzo, Killer Kelly, and Taylor Wilde in a four-way match to determine the number one contender for the Impact Knockouts World Championship. Uh, I've talked very highly about Masha on the show before. I think she's a hell of a wrestler. I watched a little bit of this match. Uh, a lot of good shit from what I saw. So looking forward to that. I hope she does get her day in the sun with that title here soon. Steve Macklin defeated Rich Swan in a false count anywhere match. I have not watched that one, but it sounds like something I would probably enjoy. Eddie Edwards defeated Jonathan Gresham. I don't even know why they were wrestling. I don't know. I don't know nothing. I just found out that Gresham was with Impact, so... I don't know. Um, like I said, haven't watched any of this show. I don't know what the fuck was even going on here or why it was warranted for a 19-minute match in the co-main event for Hard to Kill. But here we are, main event match. Mickey James defeats Jordan Grace, 19 minutes for the Impact Knockouts Championship. If Mickey James would have lost this match, she would have had to retire. I was kind of expecting Mickey to lose and just fucking retire, but... I guess not. And then from what I gathered at the tapings that they did afterwards, Mickey said that the last rodeo is over. So I guess that means that there's no longer that rule of if she loses a match, she retires. I guess we're just scrapping that from now on. That's kind of weird. I feel like if you say something like that, I feel like if you say, oh, my next loss, that means I'm gone. That should just kind of be the thing until you lose and then you're just gone i didn't know that you could just pick out a milestone oh if i get to this point though that goes away i'm I'm not going to retire i don't know that just sounds like something that somebody who's ready to retire would say so that that whole thing is kind of weird to me but mickey james your new knockouts champion kind of hope especially considering it looks like it's going to be a little safer for mickey because looks like she's not going to retire if she loses the belt kind of hope she does drop it to Masha like I said I'd love to see Masha in that that spot let's see what she can do with it she's not the greatest promo in the world but she's she's enough of a shit kicking heel that I think she could have a hell of a, a good title run but that's really it for Impact. Now we're going to move on over to AEW in the month of January. Not a whole hell of a lot to 
report on here as they only do pay-per-views every quarter. And Revolution, I think, is coming up in the beginning of March. Main event did get set for that, though. Looks like it's going to be Brian Danielson challenging MJF for the AEW World Championship. Outside of that, though, the only real news we've got out of AEW, unfortunately, is more bad news and absolutely some of the most tragic news any of us have ever heard. Jay Briscoe, one half of the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, was killed in a car wreck. His children were in the car with him. Thankfully, they just received some injuries, some pretty bad injuries. Um, one of them, I, I believe, one of his daughters is finally starting to get feeling in her in her legs after you know it looked like it was looked like she was potential that she was going to be paralyzed there for a while, but. Yeah, terrible car wreck. The driver of both vehicles are dead. And uh, yeah, man, that that was that's a tough one to swallow. Like even saying it out loud just now, I thought about uh, I need to completely redo how I just said all that. I need to cut that and, and start over. But no, I'm going to leave it just like that because that's how shooken up I still am from this. Like I, I still can't wrap my head around it and it still doesn't even feel real to say, you know, right before right before his 39th birthday too. Um, just fucking just, just awful. I feel so terrible for his family and you know, I mean, shit just to, to go with how fucking awful it is to, to rub salt into the wound. Allegedly Warner brothers was blocking AEW from doing a proper tribute show because I mean, the AEW was the very next night after he passed away and Warner Brothers, like I said, allegedly, I'm not in the fucking boardroom. I don't know what's going on, but Warner Brothers did not want them doing anything big for Jay Briscoe because, of course, in the past, he said some homophobic stuff on Twitter that he has since apologized for profusely, especially directly to the LGBTQ community in wrestling. He, let's not forget he had a match with Effie not too long ago. And both of them embraced after the fucking match. And Effie has gone on Twitter a lot since that match, talking about Jay Briscoe being a change man. And now, you know, he forgives him for any wrongdoings he might have done. But it's so fucking ridiculous that we're still having to have that conversation and we're still blocking this company. The company who this this guy worked for at the end of the day. He was a Ring of Honor champion. Ring of Honor is owned by Tony Khan, who owns AEW. And they're not allowed to give a proper tribute to one of their fucking, not only one of their wrestlers, but one of their fucking champions. They're not allowed because he said something fucked up on social media a long time ago. And that's where we're getting a little out of control with some of this shit. I believe that, I mean, what's the oldest saying in the fucking world? Everybody deserves a second chance. We, in the last handful of years, we have completely done away with that. We all like to act like we don't have any skeletons in our own closet. We like to act like we haven't said anything fucked up. We were all kids, especially my age group, all right, and people in their early 30s, late 20s. Let's not forget, we all had Xbox Live 10, 15 years ago. Some of us have said some pretty fucked up shit potentially about other people's mothers, all right? We're no, none of us are saints, we have all said and done things that were not 
fucking proud of. But whenever it comes to shit like this and we have a fucking paper trail that leads to somebody, we like to pretend we've never done anything wrong. And I'm so fucking sick and tired of that. And it's stupid shit like that is why we're in this position and why we weren't able to properly honor Jay Briscoe the week that he fucking died. And I'm... I forgot I was recording a podcast there for a second. I just, I just got really fucking pissed off. But yeah, I mean, it's, it sucks. They hardly said anything on that episode of, of Dynamite. They did have the graphic at the top of the show. But man, if that was anybody else in the fucking company, let alone a champion, they would have had everybody on the fucking entrance ramp at the start of the show. They would have had a fucking Tim Bell salute right out of the gate. They would have given this man the treatment that they would have given anybody on that roster, the proper treatment, like what they did with Brody. Brody got the very next week. They did a beautiful show completely dedicated to the memory of Brody Lee and Jay. They, they hardly said his fucking name on the show. Now I I will give Tony Khan his props here. He recorded some, some matches and some backstage shit to put together a big Jay Briscoe tribute show right after that episode of Dynamite went on air. As of the time I'm recording this, it is up on YouTube now on the Ring of Honor YouTube channel. I think it's like a three-hour show. I have not watched it yet. I'm probably going to watch it shortly after I, I get done editing this because I, I am very interested to see it. And then Warner Brothers, like I said, once again, allegedly, got their thumb out of their ass and the next week allowed AEW to do something a little more touching and a little more of a of a tribute for Jay as Mark Briscoe, Jay's brother and one half of the tag team champions got to debut and not only in AEW but in the main event to wrestle against one of Jay's oldest rivals and friends, Jay Lethal. And it was a beautiful match, very touching tribute by both men, Mark Finished the match with a J-Driller, and it couldn't have gone off any better. And I, I have said this, and I'm glad I've seen other commentators say the same thing on social media recently. I, um, From now on, if if I'm working a show, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you call it, but if you do a double underhook pile driver, I'm calling it a J-Driller, because that's what it is. And I was telling my wife, you know, I remember... I called a match that was Josh Alexander back whenever he was the X division champion going against John Schuyler in Lariato. And he hit that finish. And I believe he caused it the C4 spike, but I think I even called it a J driller then. And this was almost two years ago. So I'm, I've kind of already gotten a head start on that. It's kind of programmed in my head as a J driller already, but that is going to be a tribute that I do for Jay Briscoe for the rest of my broadcasting career. So yeah, that's, um, you know, terrible, absolutely terrible bit of news to come out this month about Jay, just heartbreaking. I feel so fucking awful for his family, but you know, Mark had some very beautiful things to say after his match against Jay lethal. And he seems to be very optimistic about the future And he says his brother is with him and will always be with him. And he will continue to ride with his brother until it's his time. And you know what? That's, that's beautiful. That that's absolutely beautiful. I think we all needed to hear that. So rest in peace, Jay Briscoe. I'm so thankful. I had the pleasure to meet Jay a few years ago here in Atlanta at a ring of honor show. 
obviously with meet and greets, it can be a mixed bag. You don't really know what you're going to get. You know, sometimes they might come off like a very nice individual, but they're actually a dick. Sometimes they might be a dick, but they're just having a bad day. Jay came off like an absolute sweetheart. And from everything that I've read and from everything that I've, I've, I've heard from, from people that have worked with him, that's just how he was. He just was a sweetheart. Him and Mark, I, I, you know, like I said, it was just a meet and greet, but I have nothing but positive things to say about the couple of minutes I got to spend with those guys. And it looks like everybody else says the same exact thing. So yeah, one last time, rest in peace, Jay Briscoe. Whew, reach for the sky, boy. All right, let's move on over to the WWE with some news that I touched on just for a couple of seconds on the last episode this month. Vince McMahon is back. Back is the, I guess, the, the chairman of the board. And boy, does that fucking suck. We we worked so hard. We finally did it. He was finally gone. The show had started to get better with, you know, obviously, like I said earlier, there were a few exceptions here and there that definitely made me think, oh, you know, Vince might still be booking some of this shit. And allegedly, he hasn't been stepping into any creative meetings. Allegedly. Once again, like I said earlier about Warner Brothers, I'm not in the fucking boardroom. I don't know what's going on, but uh, he's there and apparently he's there just to help them sell the company. I guess they're going to uh, they're looking to sell to a, somebody huge like Disney or there's a potential that they sell to Saudi Arabia. Uh, whatever, whoever, whoever they decide to go with, it looks like Vince is there just to kind of steer the ship for them to get the company sold. I don't know if he's going to help them do that and then fuck back off to retirement land or not, or if he's going to stick around. I have no idea, but it is, it is kind of scary though for wrestling fans that are, you know, we we're still trying to get over the trauma of all of those years of terrible creative that were 100% caused by Vince McMahon. We're still trying to get over that. And just knowing that he is within reach of a pen now is very worrisome, especially considering his daughter, Stephanie McMahon, who was promoted to co-CEO as Vince stepped down. She's fucking gone now. She bailed. We have no idea why. She said that, oh, you know, I was intending on just hanging back. I was going to take a long vacation anyway, so I'm just going to fuck off and go be with my family. Maybe. Or did her dad come back and she said, fuck this, I'm not doing this again, and then fucking bailed. Who knows? Like I said earlier, once again, for the 12th time, I wasn't in the fucking boardroom, but I know none of this looks good. None of this looks good at all. It, it, it really, really doesn't. Uh, Vince is there. Like I said, just knowing that he's within reach of a pen is so fucking terrifying. And with Stephanie not being there, I think a couple of other fucking board members got fired the second that, that Vince came back or stepped down, whatever happened. Is definitely worrisome. Unfortunately, we're all just going to have to kind of sit around and wait and see what happens here. See if the company does actually sell. Who do they sell to? Does Vince stick around whenever they sell? Does he... What we're really worried about is, is he going to put himself back at that as the head of creative? That's what we really don't want. And I hope it doesn't happen. Especially coming out of this Royal Rumble, because this was a pretty solid show, especially considering last year's show. I was thinking about this last night while I was watching the rumble. Whenever I recorded that episode last year, talking about the 2022 Royal rumble, that was like the most bummed out I had ever been recording an episode of this podcast. And I've talked about some pretty real shit on this show before the 2022 Royal rumble episode defeated me the most. Like that was when I was like, fuck, do I even want to do a podcast anymore? That show is so fucking bad. This was better. 
it was not a perfect show, but it was a better show. And we're actually going to do a pretty decent deep dive on the show. We're actually going to grade the show. And we are right now going to do a proper review of the 2023 Royal Rumble. The show this year took place at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. Looks like we had a reported crowd of about 51,000 people, probably closer to 45,000, but still absolute shitload of fucking people. I really love whenever they do these big stadiums, especially now for the Royal Rumble shows where you've got like the long curved ramps, because it just reminds me of WrestleMania 19 at Safeco. And I just, I don't know. I love that aesthetic and the arena looked really cool. The show opens up, surprisingly, with the 30-man Royal Rumble match. Before I get into the match, I want to address something that I saw a little bit before the show, probably an hour or two before the show went on air. Apparently, Fightful had gotten a actual leaked copy of the run sheet or something. I don't know, but they knew the match order, and they had posted it on their page or their social media or whatever. And it wound up making the rounds all over the place. So everybody already knew what order these matches were going to be in right after Fightful said something. I got to say, we got to knock that shit off. We, we really fucking do. Like as you guys like to call yourself journalists, do some journalist shit. Like whenever we talk about backstage goings on, like the whole fucking brawl out thing that happened with AEW. That's the kind of shit you should be reporting on. Uh, contract disputes. Stuff like that. Like, that's the kind of shit you should be reporting on. Don't spoil the fucking show. I mean, you don't see fucking football journalists getting a hand. Believe it or not, and a lot of people might not know this, a lot of football coaches will script their first several plays, and they'll have that shit written down. We don't have journalists fucking leaking the scripts that these fucking football coaches are going to do in the NFL, do we? No, because that'd be fucked up. That'd be fucking stupid. Why in God's name would you want to ruin that surprise for everybody? Because for, for guys like me, especially who thought Sami Zayn could potentially be in the rumble and even win the fucking thing. Whenever I look at this match order and I see that, that Roman's match is at the end and the men's rumble is at the fucking beginning. That tells me right there, Sammy's not even in this fucking match. So you ruined that surprise for me. And I'm not going out of my way to try to find this shit. I unfortunately follow a lot of people on social media that follow these nutsacks and share this stuff. You're ruining the fucking fun. Like, talk about some actual journalist shit. Stop giving away. Like, there were so many fucking, oh, this person's going to be in the rumble. This person's going to be. They're, they're called surprises for a fucking reason. Stop ruining them. I'm going to get off that soapbox and go right back to talking about this show. But anyway, we open up with the 30-man Royal Rumble match. This was a pretty fun match. I really enjoyed it for the most part. Really, as far as things that I fucking hated, you had Rey Mysterio was supposed to come out at 17, and he just didn't come out. I expected him to come out later in the show, considering Dominic Mysterio was in the match for way fucking longer than he should have been. I thought Ray Ray was going to come out later and fuck over Dominic, and that didn't happen whatsoever. So that whole thing of like Ray Ray's music plays, and you just we just don't get anybody in that 17th spot. So it was really a 29-man rumble and not a 30-man rumble. That was kind of fucking lame. Like I think you should either have somebody taking his spot or you should have had him come out later in the match to fuck over Dominic. Because obviously I think they were trying to hint at Dominic beat him up backstage. And that's why he's not out there. I think that was kind of a cop out not having him come out whatsoever. But outside of that, I mean, that was really the only real 
bad thing about this match. I really didn't care for that. Outside of that, the only other like really surprises that we had, Booker T came out at number 21. Obviously, they are in Texas, so it made a lot of sense to have Booker come out. Edge came out at number 24, making his long-awaited return, went straight for the Judgment Day. Uh, later in the match, after him and the Judgment Day got eliminated, they were all fighting on the ramp. Rhea Ripley comes out. Beth Phoenix then comes out and fucks on Rhea Ripley. So big continuation of that Edge and Beth versus the Judgment Day thing going on there. And the only other surprise entrant was Logan Paul came out at number 29 and, you know, recreated that fucking Carmelo Hayes ricochet spot with ricochet in the ring where they jumped and collided midair. Uh, you know, it was cool to see, but also I've already seen it before, but I guess for a lot of the, the fans there that maybe don't watch NXT, which a lot of people don't watch NXT, I guess this is probably a first time for them seeing that, which is cool. Cody Rhodes comes out at 30, which... Uh, like, there's nothing wrong with having a predictable finish for a Rumble. Like, when you see Cody's coming out at 30, you're like, oh, yeah, this dude. Like, we already had a, like, it was already, like, 95% sure Cody's winning this thing. That shit went up to 100. Cody's winning this fucking thing. There's nothing wrong with having a predictable Royal Rumble finish. Like, I told my wife, I said, this is almost 100% what happened with Triple H after he got injured and then came back at the Royal Rumble. I believe also came out at number 30 or at least close to number 30. And then one, I was like, they were doing all those video packages, hyping him up whenever he returned, just like they're doing with Cody right now. So it's very reminiscent to that. Fans fucking loved it whenever Triple H won the Rumble. So, I mean, obviously it was cool whenever Cody won this year's Rumble. But yeah, super fucking predictable though. I, w I would prefer a Rumble finish not that predictable. I think that the women's match... While still kind of predictable, I think how they finished it was totally off the fucking rails and was really fun. Uh, this match, what was cool about this, though, even though Cody came out at 30, he still wrestled for 15 minutes because after they eliminated everybody else, him and Gunther, who was the number one entrant, had a whole ass fucking match, like a 10 minute match after everybody else was thrown over. I haven't really seen that. Usually when you get down to the last couple of guys in a rumble, it's just like 30, 45 seconds till one of them's over the top. These guys had a whole ass fucking wrestling match after Gunther had already been in the match for an hour. And I mean, shit, I was so hyped on it. I'm fucking putting respect on the name Gunther now. I've always called him Walter because I think Gunther's a dumb fucking name. But goddamn, if he wants to be Gunther, I ain't going to say a fucking thing now. That was a huge star making performance for him. And I don't think it's long until until old boy Gunther has that fucking world championship himself. But yeah, the finish was was like I said, him and Cody having this long ass actual match at the end of the Rumble, and it was good. I he was you know focusing a lot on that torn peck, chopping directly on that pectoral that was fucked up, almost made it look exactly how it looked whenever Cody last wrestled because that motherfucking chest was turning beet red real quick. But it was a good match, though. I did really like this year's Rumble match. I gave it a B-plus, personally. A lot of fun. Wasn't perfect. I wasn't super crazy about the Rey Mysterio thing. Uh, the storylines that they did fold into this match, you know, like the shit with Lesnar and Lashley, I liked. The shit with the Judgment Day and Edge and Beth Phoenix was cool. All of the, it was It was all good. There was nothing bad about this match. I wouldn't say it was an amazing, I wouldn't say it's the best Royal Rumble match, but it is a very good Royal Rumble match, and I was a fan of it. B+, plus, good job, guys. After that, we have got Bray Wyatt defeating L.A. Knight in the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match after five minutes. This was, um, this was interesting. I don't, know, I don't know what I was expecting a Pitch Black match to be. It wasn't this. 
It wasn't this at all. I wasn't exactly mad at it. It basically for for anybody that's listening to this and didn't watch the show, and I don't know why you're listening to me if you didn't watch the show, but they cut the lights down and cut on a black light basically, and everything was glowing. And they had like a Mountain Dew logo in the ring. Now that was glowing. The ropes are like neon and they're glowing. And and Bray had all this like invisible face paint shit on that was glowing after they cut the backlight on. That all that stuff was cool. That stuff was really neat. I think that it's a little bit too much of a goofy gimmick for somebody like Bray Wyatt, who's supposed to be this fucking monster demon shit kicker, and he's got fucking fluorescent paint on that glows under a black light. I told my wife, I was like, I really hope none of those fucking virgins have any stains on their jeans in the crowd, because if they do, everybody about to see it. <laughs> it was it was kind of a kind of a crazy fucking visual. And then they do the spot. There was nothing nothing really crazy that happened during the match. They do the spot through the through the announce table and there's like a shitload of glowing confetti that pops out of the table. I don't know why that was there. It never went away throughout the night. And then they get back in the ring and then there's a glowing kendo stick. It it didn't even sound like a real kendo stick. I think it might have been acrylic because it it didn't make that same sound a kendo stick makes, but uh, Bray Wyatt winds up hitting the sister Abigail for the win. The match itself, I give it a C plus. Nothing really happened. Like I said, it was only five minutes. I hope that Mountain Dew got their money's worth with the sponsorship. I was drinking a pitch black while this match went on. I was very happy that they brought Mountain Dew pitch black back. That and Pepsi Blue are two of my favorite childhood drinks. So the last year or so has been pretty sweet for me. But after the match, yeah, I give the match a C plus. Like I said, it was it was okay. Not a whole lot happened. It was a neat gimmick. I just feel like. I wouldn't have done this kind of match for Bray Wyatt. Obviously, they made it work with the face paint and everything, but I wouldn't have done it. After the match, though, Bray puts on some new fucking mask, and he drags he drags L.A. Knight up to the entrance ramp. Uncle Howdy's up there. He fucking drops the Macho Man elbow onto L.A. Knight. Bunch of fireworks pop out. Wild-ass finish. I don't know what the fuck is going on. There's obviously been a whole hell of a lot of uh, speculation about who Uncle Howdy is. Clearly, it is a worker because that was a pretty clean elbow drop for the most part. Looks like he might have overshot him a little bit, but I think that they they covered it up about as well as they could with the camera angles that they used. But So it's definitely a worker. A lot of people are saying it's Bo Dallas. It might be. I've got no fucking idea. I'm not really invested in it. I've said on the show before, I'm not really a huge Bray Wyatt fan. His matches are just, they're never that great. You know, and after you've heard one of his goofy fucking promos, you've heard a million of them. So I'm not super invested in this. I don't really care who Uncle Howdy is. I don't really care anything about this feud. I, I don't know. It was neat, though, I guess. I mean, the glow-in-the-dark shit. I'm sure they're probably going to do something like this again in the future. But, uh, yeah, it was all right, I guess. Speaking of all right, we go on to the next match, which is Bianca Belair defending her Raw Women's Championship against Alexa Bliss. Uh, another just they kind of just did stuff very short match only seven and a half minutes not a whole lot happened it was after the match where uh, there was a fucking i guess uncle howdy video package or whatever that played taunting alexa bliss or some shit i give the match a c like i said nothing really happened clean win for bianca alexa really didn't do much not at any point in the match did she really seem like a threat nothing special give it a c it was all right after that, we go on to the women's Royal Rumble match, which was just like the men's match. I don't think it was perfect, 
but I do think it was very good. It was one thing that it did have over the men's match is there were definitely some shit that happened in this match that I did not expect. Like you had Bailey coming out at number six. Not only did I think Bailey was going to last much later into the match, I thought she was going to fucking win the match. That's who I had predicted to win. And Bailey came out at number six and was eliminated not that long after, 27 minutes after. And just that, that absolutely blew my fucking mind. Becky Lynch, another one, came out at number 15 and was only in the match for 10 minutes. That was definitely out of left field. Was not expecting that. You had a few NXT superstars come out. Roxanne Perez was out at 8. Zoe Stark at 13. Indy Hartwell at 26. Significantly less NXT women than we've seen in pre- previous Rumbles. I guess there's more women that actually work on the main roster than I thought. Uh, pretty good. I'm looking at it right now. A lot of SmackDown women. A lot of Raw women. Unlike the the men's match, which was mostly people from Raw. I think I counted 19 of the 30 wrestlers were from Raw. Uh, looks like a little bit more of a mixed bag on the women's match. Only a couple of free agents. We had Chelsea Green making her return at number 20. She gets eliminated after five seconds. Stuff like that always kind of pops me whenever somebody returns to the WWE and then they get squashed immediately whenever they get in. I don't think that that's going to be a good look for Chelsea after this. I, uh... I don't imagine the creative for her is is going to be very good. I don't think they've got a whole lot of creative plans for Chelsea. But, you know, if you ask anybody in this business, it's about two things. It's about cash and it's about creative. So if the creative's not there, I guess the cash has to be. Because the creative was kind of there for her in Impact. I think she had a pretty solid run over there. She was, uh, I think the last thing she did, she was in a tag team with Deanna. I think they even had the women's tag team belts at one point. So I'm, I'm guessing that the paycheck to go back to the Fed just had to be really nice because for her, especially considering the creative that she just had and the creative she's probably getting now, I, I don't think that at all would be the reason to go back to the Fed. But here we are, eliminated after five seconds. Uh, Michelle McCool came out. She was sitting in the crowd with her family and she came out at number 25 and, you know, once again, just like she does every year, had a, had a very solid Royal Rumble appearance. She was in the match for almost 14 minutes, eliminated two women, did a pretty damn good job. Still looks great. She can still work very well. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that she's only really done these Royal Rumble matches over the last few years and she hasn't had like a, a return singles run in the Fed. I mean, I, I really think she still has it in her. I think she, she does great work. And then number 30, I don't, I don't think anybody saw this coming, and I don't think any of us wanted to see it coming, but number 30 was Nia Jax. She came out and uh, made her big tri- triumphant, question mark, return, uh, got eliminated for her troubles after about two minutes in the match, did not eliminate anybody herself, uh, I, I don't, I don't get that one. I really don't get that one. I, uh, I, I know they haven't, as of right now, they haven't made an announcement as to where, if she has signed back with the company, if she is going to be full time or if this was just a one-off kind of thing. I imagine she's probably with them full time. I don't think they would go through the trouble of having her come out at number 30 in the rumble to not be back full time, but I don't think anybody wants that. I really don't think anybody does. Naya, You know, not only is there the controversy with she has, uh, it is what it is. It's not a safe business, but when you've heard as many people as she has, 
it's not a good look. Like she, she definitely has that reputation for being unsafe in the ring because so many women have received some kind of injury after wrestling against her. Now, I mean, it is, that is a thing that you can do something about. Seth Rollins was viewed as unsafe for a very long time after he fucking, he fucking broke John Cena's nose with a flying knee. I know he hurt himself. I think shortly after that broke his, he broke his ankle. So, I mean, it is, it is possible to have that tag of being an unsafe worker and then being able to work through it. That could happen with Nia. But then there's also just, you know, she said some weird stuff online and the whole thing about fucking vaccines. I'm not going to get into all of it, but she just doesn't seem very likable. And a lot of the fans, fans just don't want to cheer for her. And I think even when she came out, fans were all kind of like, uh, what the fuck is this? I don't fucking, I don't know why we're doing this. Even everybody in the crowd, like, I don't want to say it sounded like the air got sucked out of the room. It definitely sounded like 50,000 people that don't know what the fuck to think about this though. But she, she does get eliminated in pretty quick fashion by everybody else that was in the ring. And your winner at the end of the match though, is Rhea Ripley. Very fun, uh, segment on the outside of the ring or they were, or I guess they were on the ring apron. The final three was Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan and Oscar. Oh, Oscar came back. I forgot. I didn't know she was gone. I don't watch the show very much, but she came back and she had like, it looks like some of that, uh, that face paint that she wore whenever she was working as Kana in Japan. Looks like she had something kind of similar to that from her earlier stages of her career. But yeah, so the, the final three, Rhea, Oscar and Liv, they're all fighting on the ring apron, which definitely adds for some tension. Asuka goes to spit some new blue mist into the face of Rhea, but Rhea gets out of the way. It hits Liv. Then Rhea eliminates Asuka. Rhea goes to eliminate Liv. Liv hits, I think she hit a code breaker or something, so it looked like she might still win, even though she was blind, but of course, still got the mist in her face. She can't get her faculties about her, so Rhea does, of course, wind up eliminating her, and Rhea Ripley wins from the number one spot, spent an hour and one minute in the match, eliminated seven women, hell of a showing for Rhea, I think a lot of people were definitely campaigning for Rhea to win, I don't think it was as much of a lock as Cody Rhodes was, I think we all fucking knew Cody was going to win, but a lot of people definitely wanted Rhea to win, and she did, and I think that this match, I, I liked this match, Maybe slightly more than I like the men's match. I, I still give it a B plus, just like I gave the men's match. But this one, the, the finish especially, I really did enjoy the finish. And a great showing by the number one spot in both matches. Rhea Ripley in this one, Gunther in the other one. And yeah, I mean, pretty fucking solid Royal Rumble match here. Like I said, B plus. Both Royal Rumble matches did not disappoint which is fantastic after last year's because last year's they disappointed like a motherfucker. <laughs> after that, we are uh, we're we're running short on time here. Even though there isn't really a time limit, it's my fucking show. But I don't want to sit here and edit this episode as it sits right now. So let's go ahead and try to get through this as quick as we can. The main event of the show: Roman Reigns defeating Kevin Owens after 19 minutes to retain the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. After the match is where all the all the crazy shit happened, though. Kevin Owens gets handcuffed to the ropes. The Usos and, and Solo Sokoa take turns beating the dog shit out of Roman. Sammy's standing there kind of fucked up the whole time. And, and uh, Roman tells Sammy he wants him to fuck up Kevin. I think he even gives him a steel chair. Tells him, go fuck up Kevin. He doesn't want to. And then 
Roman pie faces him a few times, talks some shit to Sammy, and then Sammy's had enough, and then he cracks Roman Reigns over the back with the chair, and here we are. Sammy Zayn is the one to turn on the bloodline. I think everybody expected it to be the other way around. I think everybody expected the bloodline to beat the shit out of Sammy, kind of like what they were hinting was going to happen after that trial of Sammy Zayn after Raw 30. Oh, I didn't talk about Raw 30 on this show. Well, I guess that's I guess that's about how much that show deserves to be talked about. It wasn't very good. I didn't like it. Anyway, back to this. Um, Sammy does hit Roman across the back, and everybody else starts now taking turns beating the dog shit out of Sammy. Jimmy and Solo are going back and forth between fucking up Sammy and fucking up Kevin Owens. Jay Uso, who hated Sammy like a motherfucker just a few months ago, loves the guy now. And now he can't bring himself to whoop Sammy's ass. So Jay Uso powders and fucks off up the up the entrance way while Kevin and Sammy get their dicks kicked in for a little while from the remaining members of the bloodline. So this is uh this is very interesting coming out of this match. Now you have got Sammy Zayn officially out of the bloodline. Looks like Jay Uso potentially also out of the bloodline. And that makes WrestleMania season very interesting. Obviously, we know, like we said earlier, Cody Rhodes just won his match, the Royal Rumble. He has the right to challenge for that championship now. Also, with this shit with Sami Zayn and Roman, looks like we might have another triple threat situation like we had with Roman and Daniel Bryan and Edge just a couple of years ago. I'm imagining that's what we're going to have now. But anyway, the match, I really uh, like the match. There's nothing nothing awesome about it like the match itself really it was the it was the the segment at the end you know that segment that went really really fucking long at the end of the match that is if i have any problems about the bloodline boy do they take their fucking time in the ring holy shit but yeah that segment went on super long but it got the point across the tension was there i think this is very very good storytelling the match itself gets a b but like i said it's not about the match it's about what happened after the match overall though I did really enjoy the Royal Rumble. The show gets a B- from me. I think the Rumble matches were the highlights, with the Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens match also being a, a very solid highlight. The two singles matches, the Women's Championship match and the Pitch Black match, not great. Uh, at least there was the the fun bit of the gimmick match with the Pitch Black match. That was It was neat, like I said, kind of goofy to have somebody like Bray Wyatt in there, but, you know... Same thing as the main event. Everything that's worth talking about with the pitch black match happened after the match. Kind of the same thing with the Raw Women's Championship match, even though it was just like a little video package that played. Nothing consequential happened during the match whatsoever. But a very fun show. The Rumble matches, once again, very, very good matches. I did enjoy this. B- minus altogether. And I think as far as WWE pay-per-views go, they're off to a pretty good start going into 2023. And ladies and gentlemen, I think main event heat is off to a pretty good start going into 2023. That is our show. That has been this month in pro wrestling. Tell me what you guys thought about the shows that we talked about, about the other news topics that we touched on for this month. If you guys have any questions, any opinions of your own, literally anything you want to say, hit me up at Sweet Sexy Rob on Instagram and Twitter. Let's talk about it. If you guys want to send in any questions for future episodes, I'd absolutely love that. Once again, that is at Sweet Sexy Rob Instagram and Twitter you can tag me you can hashtag me you can fucking DM me whatever you want to do hit me up let's talk wrestling if you would like to pick up any great 
wrestling t-shirts go to collar and elbow brand.com use the promo code heat save you a couple of bucks if you would like to get a rob weathers t-shirt which i would also very much appreciate pro wrestling tees.com slash rob weathers got a few great designs up there might look at putting some new ones up before too long and that's going to do it for this week's episode ladies and gentlemen i hope you have enjoyed it join me again in the middle of february as we talk about I don't know, something, probably probably a little more about me. Like I said earlier, I've got that tryout coming up at the Combine for Southern States Pro. Maybe I've got something to report on next month's episode as far as that goes. Hopefully I get to actually call a match soon. That's all I know. But until then, until more shit happens in wrestling for us to talk about, until our next episode in the middle of February, thanks for hanging out.